0: a couple things real quick here if you read the other gospels and they all record the story of a woman anointing the feet of Jesus with her hair and her tears we see that the house in Bethany is the house of someone called Simon the leper now a leper can't live there unless he's been healed And so early church tradition is that this Simon the leper was in fact a follower of Jesus who had been miraculously healed by Jesus and therefore opened his doors, opened his house to Jesus when Jesus was passing through. And so one of the people sitting there at the table was a living, breathing miracle. And then there's Lazarus. Who was just kind of laying around, says reclining. I'm going to give him a pass. He's just kind of laying around being himself with Jesus. Imagine being so close to Jesus that you can just lay there and let him pass you supper. You know what I'm saying? And then there's Martha. And of course, she's too busy, she's serving. Anybody going to be too busy this Easter to, to fall down and worship Jesus? And there's Mary. You know, women were to be seen and not heard. They were to serve and not intrude on men's company. Yet Mary, out of her love and her worship for the Lord bucked social convention she took the perfume the nard that she took in the other gospels they tell us that it's worth a year's worth of wages it was probably her dowry the financial gift that she would have given to join into a marriage with a man as was the custom in the day She's pouring her future and everything she has on the feet of this Savior as an act of worship and washing it with her tears and her hair. Who do the people say I am? This Easter, Jesus is calling us to respond, as He always does. Who do you say that I am? How will you respond? My prayer for myself is that I could get a little more Larry or Mary and a little less Lazarus, you know what I'm saying? Where I could be. Regardless of other people's opinions, regardless of the cost, completely sold out for Jesus. I think we do ourselves and the King a disservice when we let the hurry and scurry of our lives rush us into the Easter season unprepared. How will you respond? I give thanks to God for such a clear showing of what, how his church should be and who his church should be. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you all thanks and praise. Father, that you love us so much in spite of our flaws and imperfections, that you instruct us over and over and over again, Father, how to know you, how to love you, how to worship you. And even in our failings, Father, you forgive us, you provide for us, you dust us off, you wash us off, you hug us close, and you call us your own. And Father, how desperately we in the world needs to know the closeness and the power of your love. We ask you, Lord, to transform our hearts as we enter into this Easter season to make it an Easter like never before in our lives. That you may be glorified, that we may be transformed, and the world will know that we are yours. We ask all of this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And now, if you would, please stand for the benediction. Church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May He lift up His countenance upon you and give you His peace. Amen. But Easter's almost here. It's two weeks away. Seems kind of hard to believe. Seems just like yesterday it was Christmas and then Valentine's Day and yesterday was the gala and now Easter's right around the corner. Don't know how that happens. You know, it seems to sneak up on us. I don't know how it happens at your house. I know what happens at my house. We clean up from Christmas dinner, and my wife goes into gala planning. And as soon as the gala is done, she goes into Easter dinner planning. Because at my house, we have hosted Easter dinner for the last who knows how many years. And we feed up to 30 negleys on an on a Easter Sunday, and that requires uh, tons of provisions to be shipped in and she never has a chance to slow down and really think about Easter. For me, I got a little bit easier my my task for the last several years going into Easter has been lobbying with the powers that be to get an over 50 division in the Parkway Easter egg hunt. <laughs> it's true. Ever since that unfortunate incident 18 years ago when I knocked Ethan over on the way to a chocolate egg, Ethan, I do apologize about that. I have been barred from the under six age bracket. But I figure if we can get an over 50 or an over 60, there's a pretty good chance that I can outrun old Daryl Emerson there and get the (laughs) chocolate. You know what I'm saying? And so personally, today's message is for me, I confess that I haven't probably brought as much reverence or consideration into the Easter season as as I should have. And maybe it's a condition of our culture, maybe it's a condition of our church, that we seem to glorify Christmas and downplay Easter. We spend months in anticipation waiting for Christmas, and yet Easter kind of sneaks up on us. And it's almost an afterthought in our year of worship. Whoever put Christmas in December surely didn't help us any, right? But it's not that way in our Gospels. There are four men who inspired by the Holy Spirit wrote their witness in four separate books to four separate audiences with four distinct and yet complementary messages over a period of four different times. And yet, when you consider those in the aggregate, when you pu- put them all together, I wouldn't trust this because it's coming from me, but by my count, there are 89 chapters in the four books of our Gospels. A mere four of those deal with the lineage and the birth narrative of Jesus, the Christmas story. A little bit less than 5%. An additional 35 deal with the first two and a half years of Jesus' early ministry, kind of the building momentum stage. But fully 50 of the 89 chapters, over half of the gospel record, defines the events in the last six months of Jesus' life. Over half. Daryl's in his book checking right now. He's going, I'm doing some counting here. Not only that, in those 89 chapters of of our Gospels, there are only 11 stories that appear in all four Gospels. And eight of those 11 occur from the time that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem to begin his journey on the road to Calvary, on the road to his destiny. And so I think this, this convergence of focus and intent from four diverse viewpoints targeted at four diverse audiences all coming together around this final time should tell us that there's something here and i confess that sometimes i miss it try to get a little bit in in a couple weeks and kind of play like i'm back at georgia try to cram right before the final you know what i'm saying instead of preparing my heart adequately the way I should. There's also a personal element to it. For the last five years, Easter has been kind of a a, a bittersweet time for my family. Five years ago in February, we lost my dad to a battle of cancer. And I know many of you have lost loved ones, and you know how difficult that can be. And just a couple weeks back, March the 5th, would have been his 81st birthday. And so we've got this concurrence of difficult memories bringing us into this Easter season. But I got to witness something in my father's last days. It give me kind of a context, I think for what Jesus faced in his final mission. Not that my dad would accept, he would reject outright any comparison to Jesus, okay? But in in his reaction, in September of 2012, when when we got the prognosis that my dad had incurable cancer and he had three to six months to live, I watched his face go impassive and fill with resolve as he politely refused a medical, radical medical intervention